set my message today in three scenes. Scene one. The people of God have gone down to Egypt, led there by God. They've gone because through God's amazing work, he has used a man named Joseph to be the rescuer and the redeemer of Egypt, but also of his people. And God has led them down there to rescue his people and to rescue the nation of Egypt. But while they are in Egypt, time and the years go by, and as the years go by, those in power shift and change, and a new king comes to Egypt, one who has no memory of Joseph, no memory of the significant role that he played in rescuing the nation and the nations around. And God's people become enslaved and oppressed. And they cry out and they groan to their God for help because of the slavery went up. And it says in Exodus, he says, God heard their groaning. He remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned with them. God remembered his covenant. God came to Abraham and made a promise to him. A promise not only that he would have descendants, but that he would have innumerable descendants. And that it threw those people. Not only would, would his descendants be chosen, but he says through those people, all the nations of the world would be blessed. God remembered his covenant. And as the people were crying out to God, Moses, an exile far away, tending his father-in-law's sheep, was doing what shepherds do, searching and looking for a place of grass, some place to feed, a place of water. He couldn't leave the flocks in one spot in time. They would strip the ground bare, and if they stayed there, the sheep would starve. So it's a constant battle of moving and searching for new grass. And that journey, it says, would take him to the far side of the wilderness, to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. And while Moses is there at, the, at Mount Horeb on the edge of the wilderness, he looks up and he sees a bush burning. But it's not burning. It's on fire, but it's not being consumed. It's a really strange and bizarre sight. And Moses says to himself, I think I'll go look at that strange sight. And he gets up and he goes, and as he approaches this burning bush, a voice calls to him, not to come any closer where he is standing, his holy ground. The spirit and the presence of God is there. And God says to Moses, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned of their suffering. Guess what, Moses? I have a plan. You thought you were in exile. Now I'm going to send you out, send you back to lead my people out of exile. Moses says what probably all of us would say in response to that, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God says, nothing. Well, he doesn't answer Moses' question. He simply says, I will be with you. Translation, you're right. Who are you? But we're not talking about you. We're talking about me. And I will be with you. What ensues then is a series of back and forth. God shows incredible patience with Moses. Back and forth. Moses is trying to find an excuse, trying to find some way to get out of this. 
finally he thinks he's got the final, the trump card, the final thing, the final thing that will stop God from this plan. He says, pardon your servant. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord says to him, who gave humans their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. Scene two. Flash forward many years, a woman is is beside a well. She comes in the middle of the day. Well, we are never specifically told why she comes there in the middle of the day to draw water. We are led to assume she comes to here because she does not want to be seen. She is a woman who has experienced rejection and cruelty. She's been abandoned by her community. Five times she has been married. Five times she has been called into the public square and rejected by her husbands. How many times did she cry out to God for a deliverer? How many times did she hope and dream? But now her dreams have given up. She's given up on hope, and it says the man she is with now is not her husband. And there in the wilderness of her soul, she comes to a well in the middle of the day, and she sees a strange sight. A Jewish man is there beside the well, and he asks her for a drink of water. And in their conversation, she meets God face to face. She goes from that conversation, she tells her whole community, come meet this man who's told me everything that I have done. And the community swarms out come to see, to meet this man. And it says that many of them believe, not just because of what she has said, because, but also because they experience Jesus as well. The disciples return. They see this, what I imagine to be somewhat of a chaotic scene. And they're trying to figure it out. And Jesus says to them in John 4, Behold, I say to you, look around you. Look at the fields. They are ready for harvest. But there's a problem. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of harvest to send laborers. There's a harvest. There isn't anybody to go. Scene 3. Acts chapter 2. Actually, the story begins in Acts chapter 1. Jesus is with his final gathering there with his disciples. And as he commissions them and he sends them out, he also tells them to not go, to wait. To wait in Jerusalem until the gift of the Father. And so they all gather together, as we read in Acts chapter 2, they have gathered together and they are waiting in a room. Who is in that room? We're not exactly sure. It's at least the 12, but it seems to be much more, perhaps 120, perhaps even more than that. There is a large crowd that have gathered. They are waiting. It is made up of the disciples and made up of those who follow, who have followed Jesus around. All anticipating and waiting. 
all hoping for a new exodus. But the bondage that they feel and the oppression. They have this sense that something is about to happen, that their deliverer is about to come, a new Moses is about to come and set them free, and they are waiting for it. It says they are all together in this room. And not just on any day, it's the day of Pentecost that they are in that room. Pentecost literally means five tens. It is 50 days from Passover. And it's a celebration. It's a feast. It began as a, a feast, a harvest feast, a harvest of first fruits, celebrating the first harvest of wheat. Over time, it began to take on additional meaning as a celebration of the giving of, of the covenant of God on Mount Sinai. Sinai, the moment when Moses, when God, after leading his people out of Egypt, God would call Moses up to the mountain of Sinai. But as he calls Moses, there are warnings and cautions issued. The people are to approach, but they're not to go on the mountain. Don't allow any animals on the mountain. No one is to come near the mountain. And as Moses goes up into the presence of God, he sees God face to face. And he comes down as a prophet of God from the mountain, from meeting God face to face, and he tells the people about God and the truths of God. It's on this day, a day of harvest. The fields are ready to harvest. The day when the law has come, the Spirit of God descends on a mountain, but everybody stays back. That They are gathered in a room waiting, anticipating, longing. And it says the Spirit of God descends. And the presence of God surrounds not just one person, not just Moses, but his presence surrounds and envelops everybody who is in that room. It's like tongues of fire, a rushing of wind. It's an incredible, chaotic scene. And there in that midst, the nations are gathered. And the nations hear the good news of Jesus in their own language. It's an unbabbling, is often said. In the story of the Tower of Babel, the people desire to go up to God, and they try to build a tower to God. They try to make a name for themselves, and what happens is God confuses their language, and they are scattered. In this moment, the nations are there. But instead of being scattered, they, their language is united. And they hear the voice of God, and God brings together those who have been scattered back again. He reestablishes the nations together as one. When we read Acts chapter 2 in this incredible story, the place we often get caught up on is we quickly become caught on this whole scene of tongues and what is happening and what, is, what are these languages, how do they hear what's all happening. And when, and when we get tied up in all of that, we miss one very, very important little word that occurs repeatedly in this passage. And that word is all. They were all gathered in one room. All of the nations were there. And it's to all that Peter stands up to a bewildered people 
and he explains what is going on. The Spirit of God has been poured out on all people. This day has come. Whereas before only one man could go up to the mountain, one man would lead people out of Exodus, one man would stand in the presence of God and intercede. Before, only the anointed priest would ever enter into the most holy of place, and then only once a year. Only then could that person make intercession for the nation. Only one could enter into the presence of God. But now God's presence has come. Not simply to one, but to all. Not simply to the twelve, not just to the, 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 those that walked with Jesus, but it says all, everyone who's gathered there suddenly finds themselves surrounded in the presence of God. They all hear. Peter says to the crowds that because the Spirit of God has come, he says, your sons will prophesy. Your daughters will prophesy. Men, women, young, old, slaves, free. Everyone who's gathered here. All those categories that said you're out. All those places of wilderness that abandoned and closed to all. The Spirit of God has come. And in the new, that moment, a new priesthood is ordained. We often use the phrase, and we talk about the priesthood of all believers. This is the moment of ordination. This is the moment when the Spirit of God comes upon all. And everyone who calls on God's name is ordained. Called to prophesy. be a prophet is to declare the truth of God. To speak the voice of God to the world. To a world that perhaps feels in bondage. To declare like the woman at the well. Come meet a man who's told me everything that I've ever done. To experience a voice when you say, I cannot speak, call somebody else. The Spirit of God comes. But the harvest is plentiful, and the laborers are few. But to each of us who have been called by God, to each of us, we are called to go to the nations. Each of us are ordained. To the nations, to our neighbor. If you remember last week, Laura shared this with you. This call of what each of us are to be. What does it mean to be a follower of God? We are invited to join Jesus in his ministry to all of the nations. We do so not under our own power. We are so much like Moses. We have 
we can criticize him, but we would have our long lists of reasons why not. I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm a man, I'm a woman, I'm a slave, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a leader, I'm not a leader, I'm young, I'm old. What's the list? All these things, the prophet Joel says. He says, because we do it, what? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Moses said, you can't send me. Who am I? God didn't say, it's not about you. It's about me. We do it through the power of the Holy Spirit to the Father. Why? Not for us. The Spirit doesn't come upon the people at Pentecost for them. It comes for the sake of the nations and for the world. And it's to the world that each of us are ordained. A new exodus has come. The harvest is plentiful, and the laborers are few. And so we, like them, seek and pray. Fill us with your spirit and send us to the nations. Fill us and send us. Fill us and send us. Let's pray together. Mm -hmm.